Hi, I'm Julianne. And I'm Erica. And this is Radical Healing. We gather stories from the Christian missionary community in Japan where we both grew up and talk to people about what it's like to navigate life after leaving that bubble. We interview alumni from our alma mater, the Christian Academy in Japan. We also talk to people who've had similar experiences of deconstructing and reconstructing their beliefs. By connecting with like minded people out there who felt silenced or alone in their experiences, we want to serve as a resource for healing. Welcome to another episode of Radical Healing Podcast. Today we are talking to Natasha Takahashi who attended CAJ from 2006 to 2019, so uh, quite recently. And we connected with Natasha via Instagram, where we have been fairly active uh, with our stories. Um, If you would like, if you're on Instagram and are interested in checking out our, what we're doing, um, feel free to follow us. We are a little bit more unfiltered there sometimes uh, in our stories. So uh, if you're interested in our thoughts, give us a follow or just check check it out. Okay, so uh, we're excited to get to know Natasha. So without further ado, could you give a self-introduction, Natasha? Yes, of course. So I'm Natasha Takahashi, and I uh, went went to CAJ from kindergarten to sophomore year. And then I had the honor of going to UWC Atlantic College in Wales, where I experienced two years of really diverse and uh, liberating opinions. And then I'm back in Japan for a gap year currently. Awesome. Welcome. So do you want to share like what you're up to these days? What are you thinking for your gap year? So currently right now I'm studying for a recent exam because I wasn't really satisfied with my, uh, my final grades. So um, I'm resitting my subjects for uh, chemistry and biology because I, I want to major in um biochemistry. So I I just want those two subjects to be very strong. So currently I'm doing that. But after that, I'm going to be applying to universities, probably getting a job. And then hopefully next year, I'll be a biochemistry major. What an exciting time. Thank you. It is an exciting time. I've been learning a lot of kind of like self-love right now. It's because it's it's very easy to get sucked into oh why aren't you going to university right now like why aren't you getting ready for that and um it's really easy to get sucked into self-doubt but I've been learning to kind of forgive myself and let myself rest and have a fun time studying rather than having all these these deadlines and really stressful things yeah absolutely you don't have to worry about other people's timelines. Yeah. You gotta do what's definitely. best for you. Do you have an idea of where you want to go for university? I was thinking somewhere close to home would be really nice. I was thinking probably uh, Waseda or maybe ICU or places like that, maybe Sofia. And then 
I would like to personally be close to home because um, part of the reason why I came back to Japan, I wasn't supposed to. Um, I was actually supposed to study physiotherapy in the UK, but then because of Corona and everything, it made it increasingly obvious that meeting my family was going to get really hard. And if something happened, I would be really, really upset. And so I decided that I'm still young and I left Japan at a very young age without my family. And so I decided that I think it's okay to come back. And so I, I came back and I decided to take a gap year here and just try to spend time with my family. But the courses are probably better in um, Keio Shonan Fujisawa campus. They have a lot of really good science courses. They have amazing labs and facilities. So if I can get in there, then that would be really nice too. Yeah. COVID has affected the educational experience of so many people. I feel like young people especially have like high schoolers. Um, they've just had to bear the brunt of this time. I think maybe college classes, there's more flexibility with online courses in some ways. Like you don't have that as much that like unique uh community in high school um, experience so it's hard to replicate that online but yeah what was what was your last couple years of school like for you during so COVID? I was abroad in the UK when uh COVID really hit hard at first it was really just like murmurs of like there's this there's this virus going on in China and when it's not like your home country or it's not like a place that you're from, it's very easy to brush it off. But as soon as I heard that, you know, Corona had hit Japan, I was really, really concerned. And then our school gave us a notice to go home back in April of last year. And I did, I think like about five months of online school, which was really hard for me because I do, I love learning. I enjoy taking the time and having a great education. And it was really hard for me because I'm also dyslexic, which makes everything a bit, you know, more difficult, more complicated. So I don't think that online learning is always suited for neurodivergent people, but obviously it was the first time they were doing this as well. So I can't like blame them for not including me. They have to cater to the majority, but it was really difficult for me. And then we went back in early September um, to the boarding school. Uh, they had uh, rooms for us where we could quarantine and we quarantined in there. I quarantined for an extra amount because someone in my house got COVID so there wasn't in, even though we were on campus, there still wasn't in-person learning, but at mm. least I was surrounded by, by my friends and my, the people who I really like, I wanted to be with. And um, that made it a lot easier actually. And so we were very lucky cause the, cause the campus was closed off. So like we essentially created a bubble it was probably like at the time, it was a huge privilege to be in there in the first place, to be able to travel in the middle of a pandemic. 
um, and, and go to this boarding school. But once we were in there, we were in there, you know, there was, there was no, it is, it sounds really intense to say this, but there was no escape. And so that meant we were probably in the safest area of the UK. Got it. (laughs) What a unique experience to go through. Would you mind uh, letting, sharing a bit about why you decided to go to this boarding school from CAJ? There was a lot of reasons. The boarding school that I went to, it seemed to have the type of community that I really wanted. And CAJ was always a, a place that, that I, f- I guess I, I went back to and you know I thought of my childhood as but as I got older I started seeing a lot of flaws within the community and I started feeling very and every community has flaws I'm not saying that I went to this perfect you know utopia either there were issues within Atlantic College as well however it was like I felt a lot safer as a queer person to go to UWC Atlantic College. I wanted to be able to be comfortable with who I was. And I think CAJ was really good for me as a child because I was neurodivergent and they actually gave me excellent support. Like CAJ's special education program, like it it was so excellent for me. It really, really helped me. I had amazing teachers and amazing people who supported me through my education, you know, like without CAJ, I couldn't, I could not have read, I could not have, you know, tried to achieve a higher education. So that was really lovely. But once I got older, I had other identities besides, you know, you, you discovered different identities besides being neurodivergent, you know, and I discovered that I was queer and that I really didn't feel like this community wanted that for me. And so I left partly because of that. I left because I wanted something new as well. I had been there for so long and I wanted to experience something more than what CAJ had to to offer at the time. It's it's a wonderful school, but it, it really is a very closed bubble. And I think that it made it really hard for me to look at everything on a global scale. Wow, that's so brave of you to Thank even you just much. imagine going somewhere different. I think when I was, you know, a sophomore, I would not have been able to imagine leaving CAJ. And I remember hearing that Juju was leaving and I was like, what? Like that was just outside Mm -hmm. of my, um, yeah, what I would have imagined. So that's just very brave of you. I never expected to leave either. My both of my siblings had graduated from CAJ and there was like in my head, there was no option to leave. And then I like this sounds really intense, but I came home one day. I was crying because one someone said something very misogynistic to me and no one defended me. 
and I was just stuck there. And I felt like I felt really, really small and vulnerable and horrible. And I came home and I was I was crying. And my mom was like, well, do you want to try going to a different school? And I was like, I didn't think that was I didn't think that was okay. Like, I thought that was like almost like a betrayal. I had been there for so long. It felt like like I didn't like have that choice. But when when my mom brought it up, it felt like the only liberating option. Yeah, that makes sense. I, t- I can totally see that like feeling of, am I, is it okay to do this? Am I betraying CAJ? But like, that's so amazing that even your mom could bring that up. Yeah. All right. So um, how do you see the world differently now versus when you were growing up, when you were younger? When I was younger, I definitely, this sounds really odd to say, but I don't remember a lot of my childhood, not because I don't want to, but because I, I quite literally have essentially no memories of my childhood because I think I was very depressed as a child. I could not fit in. I would get bullied because although I said that um, CJ was super supportive in my neurodivergence, to other kids, I was very much stupid. That was it. Like, that was the bottom line. I was dumb. And so I just ended up not having a lot of friends. I had a lot of um, issues with temper tantrums as well, because I just got so frustrated with school. I wasn't good. I didn't understand why you know, my parents would send me to such a horrible place. And, and I just couldn't really like forgive the world for anything at the time when I was a kid. But the one thing that I I felt like I was good at was being a Christian. As a kid, I, I felt like because the kids around me, I didn't feel love from them. I felt like, like God was the answer. And I never questioned it as because who questions it as a kid? Every authority at CAJ tells you, you know, this is who you should worship and this is who you should follow and you should never doubt him. And you do that as a child. And as I've grown up, it's really interesting to see. Um, I think when I hit eighth grade, I started kind of improving in my studies at that point. And then there was this essay that we had to write in, I think, social studies class where we read the girl in the red scarf and we had to compare Mao's authority to Jesus's um, which was, Wait, what? That was an essay topic. Sense. I wrote that essay. Exactly. <laughs> but it was a really odd topic. That I did makes no sense at Eighth all. Eighth grade was really weird for me. <laughs> Eighth grade was really weird for me because I had, I had, you know, discovered this passion, this like really intense passion for like learning like I loved it you know and I hated it for so long and so many people had rejected me for for not being able to do it and then all of a sudden I realized like no I am completely capable of doing this and then but the 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 things that I was studying was like we were studying um other religions 
in, I think, also social studies class. And they told us to write an essay on how to convert these people. And after that, after writing that um, essay about comparing the authority of Jesus to the authority of Mao, (laughs) I started like doubting. I really started doubting. Wait, so with that question, it's basically like, like it was a, the, it's like a dual, it, like a dualistic, it, like bad and good. Like here's how Mao's bad, authority bad. Here's how here's how God is good. But that at the end of the day, people in the Chinese Revolution, they thought Mao was God, mm-hmm. and that they believed in his absolute power. Mm-hmm. And they made me compare Jesus. It it mm-hmm. really like. It was the first time that I actually got to like start thinking. So I understand that the the objective was to probably like be like, Jesus is good. Now is bad. Mm. But it started making thinking, what is the difference of this authority? Like, what is the difference? What is the difference in in tyranny and God? And it it opened a lot up for me. So once I got to like the, the whole like conversion stage, I was like, this is morally erroneous. You shouldn't be teaching kids how to convert people. We're 13. (laughs) It's like, I was 13. I was a child. And then I was supposed to use these essentially manipulation tactics to try to convert people. It felt wrong. And that was, I think, the first time I realized, like, maybe CAJ isn't for me anymore. Wow. Okay. Wow. So basically, oh my God. Eighth, eighth grade was weird. Middle school, middle school is the wrong time. So you've had just like a lot of transitions in your life where I'm like really struggling with learning and then basically kind of having this breakthrough where you kind of figured out what works for you. And then at the same time, you had like gone along with sort of what you were told and you have this like, constant you know you can rely on god when you can't rely on like your friends your peers and then all of a sudden you start to kind of question some things wow so like looking back i don't know how do you feel about that what would you say to your eighth grade self i i'd say to to, you know like pull through because i was I found I was really happy with my academic success and I'm glad that I found that because if I hadn't I think I would have just really had a rough time being in eighth grade like that was really a great turning point for me where like if I could speak to my eighth grade self I can I can tell her that like you know right now it sucks and I know you don't really like yourself that much because I was overworking myself like at that point I just discovered how work works for me and I was doing it to caliber like 9,000, you know? And so I want to tell her like, eventually you'll love yourself. Eventually you'll learn how to forgive yourself. You'll forgive yourself for being queer. You'll forgive yourself for being neurodivergent. You know, you'll, you'll forgive yourself for being, an out-of-the-box person you'll forgive yourself and I've had to take a long time to learn how to to forgive and I think that I want to tell her that you know there's hope and can I ask like um 
what's your relationship to like a Christianity or faith or spirituality now? I think I was very, after I left CJ, I was, you know, I was, I was very anti almost. I couldn't forgive the community that couldn't accept me, that raised me, but couldn't accept me. Yeah. Because you were there from, for over 10 years, <laughs> really <laughs> raised you. <laughs> My mom went to the KBF. So I was been on campus ever since I was born, you know, this was somewhere that I was supposed to be able to call home my own community. But I knew from people telling me that like we had a, we had a chapel speaker once go up and compare atheists, Hitler and homosexuals all in the same area and say that they're all going to burn in hell and we're all the same and I don't remember creating a mass genocide. <laughs> like it was, it was clear that once I, once you hit a certain age, I think there's fear mongering instead of like, when you're a kid, all they tell you is that God loves you. God loves you for who you are. You can be different. He built you to be unique. He built you in his image. And, and you're surrounded by this existential feeling of euphoria, you know, no matter how much I screw up, you know, no matter how many mistakes I made on that spelling test, <laughs> he still loved me because it felt like nobody, nobody loved me because I was dyslexic and that caused a lot of childhood trauma. And then as soon as I hit, I think like middle school, they were like, if you have sex with anyone before marriage, God won't love you anymore or God will love you, but there's a, there's, there's a catch. And that's not what I had been taught. I was been taught beautiful, unconditional love that was now no longer available to me. And I remember going to joy Bible camp. I was 12, 12. They started talking about abstaining from sex and there were kids eight years old in there wow like like these kids we were young you know we were so young i didn't know what sex was i didn't know what any of this meant and they handed out forms that we would promise our purity to god they made these little sheets we had to sign our names we had to say i will abstain from sex till marriage and i was a child I was a literal child. Like, how do you, how do you explain that to a child? How do you, how do you even face a child and say that we were a room full of just small children. And that's where the fear mongering started, you know, scare tactics. And I don't want to be afraid of someone who's supposed to love me. That sounds like an abusive relationship, doesn't it? I just, yeah, sorry. I got into it so much. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, so, so, have, so now. <laughs> yeah. I continue to have a very complicated relationship with Christianity. Mm. I think I've found my own, I'm still discovering my spirituality really. Mm -hmm. um, because I only had one option, but now I, I have a plethora and I really want to discover myself. And I don't doubt that perhaps one day I will go back 
to Christianity. I'm quite positive that it won't be evangelical, but I think I may very well end up believing in the Christian God again, but that's for me to decide. And I'm still discovering myself. Hmm. Yeah. It's an ongoing journey. Yeah. So, so right now, I think last year I really was on this like intense hate train and now this year, particularly 2021, I've learned to accept that that was my upbringing. No matter how much I try to reject it, it's, it's, it's a part of me. Mm-hmm. It's a part of who I am. I have to exp- accept the person that I was back then, the person who, the little girl who loved God. I have to accept the person last year who hated him. And I have to accept the person this year who's who's trying to discover herself. That's, uh, yeah, really beautiful self-awareness. And I think that's so necessary for growth and healing. And I mean, that's uh, connected to the core theme of our podcast, Radical Healing. Um, yeah. I think there are phases of my life well, still too, when I just want to uh, distance myself from who I used to be, or just kind of shut my brain down when I remember things. But you're so right that to be whole and integrated, we need to embrace our past selves as well and accept them. I, I was actually wanting to ask you about the influence of CAJ on your morality and like that core that you were talking about. I just kind of have a knee jerk reaction sometimes when it's implied that like, Oh, to be a moral person, you need religion. Um, and I don't think that's true. Um, but also there is definitely values that Christianity, maybe if you, if you kind of strip away, uh, well, yeah, Christianity there's so many different complex strands of it. Um, but kind of, if you go to like the core of Jesus's message, you know, to um, serve others, to care for the poor and the disadvantaged amongst you to um, love your enemies, you know, like those are kind of countercultural values in some ways that I think do affect, do have affected, have yeah. Um, shaped us. Um, so for you personally, how would you say your morality has been influenced by the Christian CAJ environment? CAJ gave me so many chances. In elementary school, I was really, really badly behaved. And that's not like, you know, I was, I was very conflicted, but that's not an excuse. Like I was, I was very badly behaved child. And I almost got, um, kicked out a few times actually because I had such bad temper tantrums um, and they gave me so many chances and I don't think I don't think I would have survived as a dyslexic person and even as a hafu in public Japanese school I don't think I would have survived as a dyslexic person in in any other international school I think the fact that they were willing to forgive me over and over again made it easy for me to look at that and think about now that I reflect on it, think about compassion 
in a really deep and and emotional way because when I was on that that kind of Christianity hate train last year, I could not show CAJ any compassion. I couldn't like I couldn't accept the community that couldn't love me anymore. But I had to look into myself and be compassionate. I don't hate CAJ. Like I don't hate that community at all. I have a lot of love for it. I wish it was more accepting, but that's morally what it taught me is being forgiven so many times. I'm hearing like you sort of reflecting on a lot of personal growth that you've gone through. Yeah. And one thing I just wanted to like comment on, you talked about like your bad behavior and like forgiveness, but like you were a child and like when a child has a temper tantrum, that's not a bad kid. That's not a kid doing a bad thing. That's a kid who's expressing that something is missing. Right. That's just like, that's how human beings work. Not all human beings, but that's how that's like a pretty common thing for how like children express that something is there's a me that's not being met. Like you were not doing a bad thing. And that's really great that you were able to get, you know, kind of be able to stay in this community that I I know other schools, you it would have been a lot harder, but like you didn't have to be forgiven. You didn't do a bad thing. (laughs) You know, you were just, you had certain needs that were not being met. Um, Yeah. Just wanted to, I guess, say that. (laughs) No, I've never thought of it like that. Okay. 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 It kind of sounded when you were saying that, I was like, Oh no, I hope, I hope you don't think that you were like a bad kid. I really did think I was a bad kid. Right. Um, the, in the time, I'm sure. But like now looking back, like, can you see yourself as like, oh, I was just a human child. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I still have a lot of digging to do for that mm. because I, I, I caused so many issues within mm. my, within my family, but also mm. within the classroom and stuff. And I just thought like, I've just been thinking that mm. I, I would, I don't know, almost like a social reject. Mm-hmm. And now that you say it, yeah, I was a kid. I was a child, but that's You're just a human being. <laughs> yeah. Know? That's so true. That is so true. I, <laughs> I was a kid without a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I was a kid without the proper support, you know? Yeah. And nobody, I think my mom, mama was always super, super supportive, Mm. you know? And she always believed in the possibility of me, Mm. but other people didn't. Yeah. Like other people didn't see what she saw in me. Yeah. And so... I just thought, oh, it's just, it's just mama. Like I can't, you know, and like, there's this aspect of like, your parents are supposed to love you, this, Mm. that, and the other, like, but there was definitely this aspect of like, I guess I couldn't forgive myself for being dyslexic. I couldn't Mm. forgive the world for making me dyslexic, which like, obviously, you know, it's not the world's fault, you know, but it, it, I hated the world for making a system where it was hard for me to learn. Mm. I hated myself for being born this way. Yeah, uh, that totally makes sense. And yeah, now that you say it, it was just a confl- very conflicted child. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't have a lot of positive attributes of my childhood, to mm-hmm. be honest. 
I think it, I mean, it makes sense the way that you have been conditioned to think about it because CAJ or Christianity, it, it will paint everything in this, you know, the like, oh, human sin. It kind of mm-hmm. just covers everything, like any type of yeah. quote, bad behavior, right? Without maybe analyzing like what is actually happening in terms of like child psychology Mm -hmm. um and your comment about that chapel speaker equating like the sins of hitler to the sins of homosexuality and atheism that just um unlocked a memory for me where I don't know. Did Christians talk about Hitler a lot? Yes. Yes. I would. He's the I number one example of evil. Yeah, but I. But no I recognition felt, that he was Christian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing was, I I sincerely believed until like fairly recently in my life that like in the eyes of God, Hitler and I were equal because mm-hmm. like we are all we all carry original sin. We are all you know before God, we have that same, uh, unacceptable. It just kind of, it it was like this way of thinking like, Oh, you know, we all have sin. We're all broken. Even if you think that you don't have something significant, like when it comes to a relationship with God, we need Jesus because we are equally unacceptable before God. Mm -hmm. So I am equally unacceptable as Hitler. And I like, in my mind somehow logically that made perfect sense until fairly recently where i'm like oh my god no i'm I'm not hitler what (laughs) yeah i think think when the fear-mongering started it really taught kids that like i like i'd wake up go to class and then my teacher bible study was first my teacher would be like you're a bad person you're a terrible person you're horrible you're awful you're ungrateful Mm -hmm. you're lazy you're not good enough but at least god loves you Mm -hmm. and then that's where it would end Mm -hmm. it would make me feel horrible about myself right Mm -hmm. and like we've i mean i mean like only recently like growing older have we like have i realized like this concept of, of radical healing itself is like you realize certain things that you never discovered about your childhood and you sit there and you, you have to realize like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's so messed up. Mm -hmm. That's so messed up. You know, I only recently reflected on the thing about like the, the, the purity talk. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, that's so strange. And I was like, no, that's not just strange. That's that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. I think this concept of radical healing is really, really important. Because I think a lot of people end up just really disliking growing up learning how to hate themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very content way to live. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's almost like, I mean, because we are taught to 
hate ourselves. Like that's why we need Jesus, right? Like that's kind of like the answer to that problem. So like this problem is created within ourselves yeah. and then Christianity will, who creates the problem will also provide the solution of yeah. like, but there is someone who loves you, even though you're extremely broken. Mm-hmm. And again, goes back to that dynamic of an unhealthy relationship, like unhealthy attachment. Yeah, I think I think leaving CAJ was a huge eye opener, actually. Huge eye opener because I I went to this school where like not everybody knew everything, but all put together, we knew a lot. Mm. And so we teach each other these things. Mm. And talking to people about Japanese colonialism, mm-hmm people would be like, well, this and this happened and this and this happened. I was like, I didn't even know the half of it. I knew that it happened, but I didn't know the half of it, you know? Mm. And that was a peaceful change. In my school, people would have really peaceful discussions. Like sometimes it would get heated, but most of the time we'd have a very facilitated discussion, like when it's still happening, but the Israeli and Palestinian conflict and the the bombings in the Gaza Strip happened, there was a lot of tension within our community at school because we had Israeli students and we also had students from Palestine. You know, it'd be easy to say everybody lived peacefully, but that's not the case. Our, our goal wasn't to create a utopia, really. It was more to create a space where people felt safe enough to say their opinions and so what we did was um, the, the school's peace council held a talk in which there was a facil- facilitated discussion between is the Israelis and between the Palestinians. And of course, it still got intense. It's, it still broke out a few hard feelings and, and um, negative emotions, but it was really good to understand what was going on from a first person perspective because I wouldn't would have never gotten that at CAJ I think CAJ would look at a conflict like that I think it generally does this I think CAJ really looks at conflict and and tries to avoid it Mm -hmm. there there was no mention of any like they mentioned maybe mental health once they mentioned like bullying once a year and you know all of a sudden well now it's not an issue because we talked about it once yeah or like racism in the school because the school uh, there was you know tinges of racism in the school but nobody ever brought it up yeah I think within that like culture strong emotions are considered bad I yeah. think that's something I'm like still working through. It was like, no, it's a, it's actually okay to be upset. It's okay to be yeah. angry. Like that's not a bad thing. And of course, like you were saying, like it's really useful to be able to have like a facilitated conversation if you're talking about a tricky topic, but it's also mm-hmm. there you should have times where you're also like mad and yelling about stuff, like you know. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I think it's like we need to kind of uh, recognize that like negative, strong emotions are not bad. (laughs) It's not sinful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this podcast is actually really, really important because 
this could possibly evoke change. And at the time being in, in CAJ, like I could, I didn't feel like I had any right or any power to ask for change. I never felt like I was in control of whether I was comfortable or not, mm. whether I felt like the community was safe or not. It wasn't my decision to make. I mm. had to be comfortable with what they gave me. Mm. Yeah, because there's a, there's like a spiritual authority too in how the school is structured. So you can't, maybe it's difficult to question how things are operated because there's this idea that it's like almost God ordained or, mm -hmm. you know, it's, everything's supposed to be based on the Bible and scripture. So you can't argue with that then. And I really struggle because at a certain point, like teachers would, would go out to Bible study class and they'd be like, gay people are going to hell. And then You know, they explicitly like, said that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, they said you like, not you, they said they didn't know, but they'd be like, all gay people are going to hell and they're going to burn in hell and they will be condemned by God. Mm. And I remember wanting to say something, mm. desperately wanting to say something, but I couldn't. Mm. How could I possibly? Yeah. Because in the handbook. Yeah. You know, I knew I knew the rules. I knew that if I if I had been outed by any authority, mm. then I could have been kicked out of school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the handbook, um, was there something specifically that condemns queerness like explicitly? I was wondering about this and trying to remember in my own experience. And I was trying to look on the CHA website too for the handbook, but I the the handbook or like manual or something that I found for students didn't seem to be, it was all just like guidelines for chapel behavior or something like I didn't, I don't know if there's like a more full version that is not on the website or something, but I was just it trying was to very vague because I mm. think, I think they're vague on purpose. I don't think they want yeah. controversy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they want to avoid that as much as possible. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's definitely in the uh, behavior guidelines for staff, which is on the CAJ website that you cannot be, you know, it basically is taking the scripture like the, I don't know, from Paul or something where it just lumps like homosexual behavior along with pedophilia, along with like premarital sex, like all in the same category. Um, but I was wondering what what type of guidelines there are for for students but sounds like it's purposefully vague or purposefully right. omitted yeah well also they can't tell you not to be gay because they didn't have to tell you what it what be, that there's a thing called being gay <laughs> you know <laughs> if they started teaching about it too explicitly a lot of people would be like oh i'm gay <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we gotta avoid that <laughs> it's the same thing when they you know when they teach you about don't have sex they don't really tell you what is sex exactly <laughs> the exact same thing Yeah, so I, I just remember like in health class once, there was no mention of gay people. There was no mention of gay, gay sex, right? But somebody asked, they were like, how do gay people have sex? Mm -hmm. And then the teacher explicitly said, gay people have what they call sex. Mm -hmm. 
but we're not real sex. We're not even allowed to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can't even let us have something that you don't even like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did they did they say anything beyond that? No. Or they just left it. Oh, okay. No, they 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 have something that they call sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like wow. That's yeah. that's a low way to stoop. That's yeah. really low. Yeah. And there was barely like health class, there was barely any mention of like, you know, safe sex. They were just like, if you want to avoid STDs, right. just don't do it. Right. Or pregnancy. Yeah. But like, yeah, no clear like what is it? <laughs> and then they they like um they would be like, Well, if you do it and you get an STD, like God is punishing you. And oh, yeah. like uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> why they also said that explicitly oh, oh my yeah. goodness I'm kind wow. of yeah they they essentially alluded to it yeah 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 absolutely like, but that's the natural consequence mm-hmm. yeah. but saying anything within those classes within those discussions right about like whether I could defend the queer community or whether I could you know be like isn't that wrong to say that like people who have sex deserve STDs mm-hmm. like if I said that then right. people around me would have been like oh my god oh absolutely that was gay. yeah yeah and I couldn't and there were so many teachers and people in my school that I thought I I really respected mm. and really looked up to that ended up being super homophobic yeah super yeah. homophobic and it broke my heart because mm-hmm. these are people that, that I thought I wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been, been scared of, because like I've, I have like a little like, you know, rainbow flag in my, in my like Instagram, but that really doesn't say anything. Right. Like I've never publicly said I'm, I'm gay mm-hmm. like this. And I've never publicly like defended you know, queerness like Mm. this. And I couldn't do it when I was at CAJ out of fear. Oh yeah. And now like being on this podcast gives people a chance to like say what they never got to say in those Mm. discussions, you know, Um, talk about racism, talk about sexual assault in CAJ, Mm -hmm. talk about like, you know, being queer and being neurodivergent. Like I can finally say something about it. Mm-hmm. and not be the annoying weird girl mm-hmm. who's probably gay or mm-hmm. probably having sex or mm-hmm. probably is like a, a radical feminist or something yeah I don't have to have those labels anymore because I'm my own individual person and if people want to think that about me sure go ahead and fine but at least you can't kick me out of school for that yeah <laughs> yeah wow Okay, so shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about TCK-ness. Do you identify as a TCK and how do you feel about that term? I do identify as a third culture kid, but I also identify with with being because I'm the definition of a TCK, I don't fully fit either. Um but also I grew up with so many third culture kids around me. So I know what it's like to be a third culture kid. Um, 
I think I identify more with being hafu and that term of being hafu because it's and being a kind of bicultural, biracial, um, because it's caused so much identity crisis within me of being, you know, half in Japan. People will never, I always say this to, I always used to say this to people in, uh, back at the college is that I can be Japanese anywhere else, but Japan, you know, over there, people ask me like, how do you say this in Japanese? Like, Oh, what's it like in Tokyo? But nobody, I get asked like questions like, what's the UK like? And before I'd ever even lived in the UK, you know, and it feels like for a really long time, I just thought I wasn't Japanese. Like it it was something that I wasn't allowed to label myself as. But now that I've, I've experienced another place and another culture and I've discovered that like, I, I like truly tried to, to immerse myself in the UK culture. Um, but it was really difficult. There were things that I just didn't understand, like inside jokes that I never understood, children's TV shows that I never watched because I watched like anime, you know, on like Saturday mornings and these kids watched, I, I don't know, like, you know, and there was this like essential divide of culture. And I realized like whether other people like it or not, I'm Japanese. I'm also British. I don't feel that British, but I am Japanese definitively. You can't take that away from me. And I think that mix of like trying to explain that to someone is really difficult. So I just say third culture kid because that's a very broad spectrum as well. There's so many types of third culture kids in this world. And I think for a while I struggled with identity, but I think now it's a lot easier after leaving Japan to understand that I am Japanese, I'm British and I am both. I can be both, you know, I, I, I can let myself be both. Yeah. Uh, Do you, on, along the Hafu lines, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm also Hafu. And then I've also started to identify as, use the term mikusu in Japanese, like mikusurutsu, um, thinking how that's like um, more, I think more inclusive yeah because again there's also like stereotypes about hafu and um also there's people who are like maybe a quarter something else or a quarter or an eighth something else and or maybe like multiple nationalities you know and so yeah that's something that i've recently started to use as an identifier and i've been thinking more about but yeah, just a side note. Like, as there's exclusivity of being Japanese as well, but there's also exclusivity within the Hafu community. And that's white and Japanese. And there, there can't be anything else, you know? And I think that's also really disheartening to hear 
because it's true. Are like I am a clean cut stereotype of what a Hafu person should 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 look like, you know. And and if we look at models in Japan, like some of the highest paid models are are mixed race. They're not fully Japanese, but they're always Caucasian. It's Eurocentric centric beauty standards and things like that that I think For caused sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that also is part of it. Like I I also get to be Hafu, mm. but some people don't. Mm. There's I think there's there's I think using that term mix, like mixu, is nice because it includes everyone. Whereas saying Hafu kind of makes it so that although you maybe you don't mean it like that it's almost exclusively white Asians, like Asians. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking or just becoming more aware of the privilege that I have as a Hafu person, like as a Caucasian person and then also as a Hafu as well. Um, my husband jokes about it like, like, oh, use that Hafu charm. Um, <laughs> and there definitely is, you know, that it is a... It is a privileged place. So for me personally, yeah. try to think through that more. Yeah. And it's it's a privilege to be white passing as well. Right? Like to to look this way is a privilege. And I don't think a lot of people understand that because they think, well, I'm part Asian, like I don't have white privilege. But there is, there is an aspect of that. There still is because Gaiken matters. Yeah. And and I don't get stopped at TSA. I don't get stopped at air, airports. But my friend who who sat next to me and I, I traveled with has to take off her shoes. Like whether you like it or not, and whether people want to hear this or not, I think even Asians have white privilege, maybe not as much probably like I I had a really inappropriate kind of fetishy thing said to me while I was in the UK when I mentioned that I was Japanese but before that they were never upfront about it once they figured out my last name was Takahashi or once they figured out that I my father's Japanese and that I grew up in Japan all of a sudden I was a commodity I was, I was almost like a, a product. I had someone say something really inappropriate to me, actually. Um, I introduced myself. Um, and when you go into this, this school, there's only two years. So everybody is coming in new. Hmm. And essentially you build this profile because in one week you were probably introducing yourself to a hundred, maybe even more hmm. people. And I said like, hi, my name is Natasha. I'm Japanese British and I'm in Whitaker house which was the the house that I was in and um this person I can't remember who it was but I was in complete shock um they said oh you're Japanese do you watch hentai and I they didn't they didn't tell me their name they didn't they didn't say hi they didn't you know, tell me where they were from. They just instantly thought she's Japanese. She must be, you know, like, like people really like Japanese fetishization particularly is so intense. 
Like it's so prevalent. It's so real. And you don't realize that till you leave Japan because like, why would Japanese people fetishize themselves? Or encounter foreigners living in Japan who've moved to Japan because they yes. fetishize Japanese people too. <laughs> That's yeah. A thing. yeah. I've been on like dating websites and like, or like dating apps. And like some of the profiles said like Japanese people only. And it's, it's been like really, it was really weird. Um, a lot of my friends, and this was a closed campus. Like we had like 300 students. So it wasn't like, it was still wasn't very big, you know? Um, and a lot of my Japanese co-years got harassed by, you know, like men who were like, had this, this thing for small Asian girls. I always got that as well. Like I'm fairly average. I'm slightly above average in, in Japan. I've never felt small, but in, in this place where, you know, there's Europeans and stuff, I felt I was particularly tiny and me and my Japanese friends would meet up and we'd have like dinner or lunch together. We'd have these bondings, you know, like shokujikai, um, just to, you know, like feel at home sometimes. And these people would come up to us and I know they weren't trying to be offensive, but they'd be like, Oh, you guys are so small and cute. You're so small and adorable and cute. And it was super, so condescending. And it was really odd, Hmm. really, really odd. But I think a lot of my friends who, who moved to the U S as well, they experienced a lot of fetishization as well. Hmm. Um, for being Asian and being Japanese. And it's, it's, I think people think that it gives them a right to be overtly like sexual or like harass people because once you're Japanese, you're automatically their fantasy and they get to do that, which they really should have no right to do. But I think, yeah, I I experienced that. That was a huge gap from CAJ as well. Like I never felt like I had to hide the fact that I was Japanese. Whereas sometimes I felt like I did in, in that school or sometimes I, I wouldn't like everybody knew at that point, but like, if somebody asked me, like, like it said to me, like anime quotes, I'd be like, okay, (laughs) you want me to do with that? And then I'd like, look up like the the script of the B movie and be like, do you want me to, do you want me to say this to you too? (laughs) Uh, It was just like, it's very uncomfortable. I also had people, it was really weird. I think this is particularly just because I'm half, but I was watching Evangelion, the series, because I'd never watched it. I really like anime. Like I really, really like anime. And I'm very picky and I'm very annoying and, and I get too much into it. So I won't, <laughs> um, I won't get into it too much, but I was watching Eva and somebody came into the room while I was watching and I was doing my nails and they were like, I always forget that you speak Japanese. And I was like, well, why would I speak Japanese to you? <laughs> <sighs> There's this weird expectation. Mm. Yeah. And UWC is affiliated with the United Nations. Is that right? It is a bit. Uh, Lots of United Nations, like 
people who work in the United Nations send their kids and they get scholarships, usually mm-hmm. full scholarships and stuff. But yeah, they, they work fairly closely with the UN. There's lots of projects that um, that kids can do that are center, centered around activism, which was amazing, actually, because you could quite literally make a project and it could be implemented within to the extracurriculars in six months. Cool. It was super great. It gave me an opportunity to, I was the leader this year of something called civic engagement. And we teach local Welsh schools about how to civically engage and why their opinion mattered and why their vote mattered. And this year, they or no, last year, um, Wales implemented the voting age at 16. Hmm. And so we went in and essentially it's this program where we do peer-led education. And so it's not this whole like formal thing. We go into schools, maybe the kids are a little younger than us and we do presentations about global issues. And we talk about different types of governmental systems and also like breaches of like inhumanity and like things like that around the world and telling these kids like you have the right to have an opinion. So should these people, but they don't. And like we want them to see like it's a privilege to be able to vote. And it was a really great project. And from that project, I created my own project which um, my co-leader really helped me with his name's Rory and um, Rory and I built this project essentially it's also peer-led education it's the same uh, model except instead um, of talking about civic education we talked about race so it was called let's talk about race and we essentially had we had kids go to two workshops um one about um historical racism like colonialism and then we had contemporary racism about like what modern racism is happening microaggressions fetishization like things like that and then we had them have discussions we also had a survey that kids could fill out anonymously after our talks to talk about their own experiences with racism. There was one that was really horrible where a child had explained that a teacher came up to her and told her that she was lucky that she could swim because usually black people can't swim. And she was lucky to be able to be in a country that supported her education. And it was just super horrible to hear all of these stories there was more um you know things things about hair as well and like lots of south asian kids uh particularly there's a big um community of south asian people in the uk and you know hearing those kids as well and so we we took this anonymous forum and we we spoke to the welsh government and particularly their like education department. And I got to have my team speak to them about how, you know, because it's, it's one thing to be like, this is what you should be doing, but to give them examples of like, this is what's going on in your schools. And I don't think you guys want to represent this type of society. I think you want to represent an anti-racist society. And so 
we tell them like how to do that and why having a peer led education education system is so important because it's intimidating to have older people try to try to educate such a sensitive topic make it easier for kids to ask questions ask things like i don't really understand why saying the n-word is so bad and then trying to explain that to them instead of having a te- like the teacher there it's they don't want to feel that judgment from their peers or or their teacher right oh. so give them an open safe space oh. to, to be able to communicate that and that was something that i was so grateful to do because i just think that that in CAJ, there's this notion that like racism exists, but it exists outside. Mm. And that's a sin. And that's all that it covered. Yeah. So, so thinking about that, um, did you have more thoughts about being in that missionary religious environment? Um, anything that you haven't shared already that you would like to share? And sort of like your perspective of looking back on it now. I think that uh, my class has just graduated. And I think that they're probably going to experience what I experienced two years ago, mm. which is shock and, and being scared and nervous. And I was very, very, very depressed my first year abroad, actually. I can say with a positive light right now, but it is so nerve-wracking and so hard and you blame yourself I really did blame myself but coming back wasn't an option either I couldn't go back and so I think that there's flaws within clearly flaws within the community and growing up in a in a religious missionary environment I really think that it can really like kind of control every aspect of your life when you're there but once it's not there you kind of don't know what to do so you follow suit of other people and I I I definitely had that issue so I think that eventually my class will start my classmates my former classmates will start learning that about them themselves learning who they are without without that environment without that community like who they can be, their possi- own possibilities. And I, th- I think it's going to be really hard because I, I really went to, like, I really hung out with the, not the wrong people, I would say, but just I, I immersed myself in a culture that wasn't really me in my first year. But then in my second year, I, I you know, I found people who who supported me in every aspect. I learned that like, you know, you don't have to party to to have friends. You don't have to like go, go out and like dance every weekend. Like you could just, you could just chill. And that's always an option. And like, you don't have to follow the majority because the majority would, would do a lot of partying. And that's what I thought I had to do because in CAJ, if you didn't follow the majority, you were very like, you were the odd one out. So I just wanted to feel comfortable in the community, but I wasn't doing what I wanted. It's almost like there's a necessary process though, of like chaos before you can define who you are. 
Yeah. I mean, discovering who you are as a young adult is always like a somewhat crazy, chaotic process. But I think maybe what we're trying to do is like share ways that it doesn't have to be like awful, you know, <laughs> like, you know, so self-care, self-love, you don't have to go out every weekend, you know, um, find a supportive community. Like, yeah, hopefully it doesn't have to be a bad experience for everybody, even though it yeah. might be a difficult experience. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, um, I went to abroad with so many expectations that, that going abroad didn't meet, but I got other benefits from it, but I was too negative to even see what those benefits were. Right. And, and I don't think you can avoid, avoid that stage in your life of like realizing that like a certain utopia that you built up, like going to college or something is not the experience you thought it was going to be. And I think like, yeah, I don't think you can really avoid that. There has to be a moment. There has to be a moment where you're like, CAJ was a cradle. And I was in that cradle till I was 17. Like, it's a cradle. And then the real world is, is, is super colorful. And it's hard sometimes, you know, and, and it's really difficult. But it, it, it's got so many aspects to it that I like I don't regret leaving CAJ for for a second yeah you're saying that and I think something that I've come to embrace is that something can be both wonderful and problematic at the same time and I have lots of amazing memories from CAJ and then at the same time I can see how it has actively hurt many people and that it it requires reform and just to hold that all together and accept that as a reality. Yeah. I think, I think that radical healing is important. Yeah. And I think like one thing, like growing up Christian or the type of Christian that we wear, it's like, everything has to have like a resolution. Like, you know, when you share your testimony, it always has to be like, Oh, this was so bad, but here's the like good conclusion. And Mm -hmm. I think like uh, moving away, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think that's a common trend and not just in Christianity, but it's like, there doesn't have to be a good resolution. It's just life, you know? There's no like, oh, here's my silver lining or like, here's my fun, cute takeaways, <laughs> you know? It can just be messy, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> Sometimes things suck. <laughs> Sometimes okay. things just There doesn't suck. have that's to be crazy. like, a, oh, and then I got stronger. It's like, no, maybe I'm just damaged <laughs> yeah and that that expectation, or just human beings <laughs> yeah exactly and that's this expectation to be especially for women being a strong woman mm. you know like be a strong woman like this this expectation to be a strong independent woman like but why can't i also be vulnerable mm-hmm. that means like it gives really people an excuse to be like throw like horrible things at you. I didn't know before I left CAJ that telling someone, telling a woman to, to smile while like she's walking down is something that's quite rude. Mm. I didn't think about that till I left. And then I realized so many male teachers in CAJ do that. Mm. Yeah. Like they'd be like smile and then be like, 
say something funny. I got to get to clap. <laughs> this biochemistry isn't going to get itself. Oh. Make me laugh. Like, oh. Give me something to <laughs> smile about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's real. All right. So what does radical healing look like for you? Lots and lots of self-forgiveness. Being able to be in tune with yourself, to be able to say, okay, that sucked. Like, like you didn't do that well on that test. You should have studied much earlier for it, but I forgive you. You know, it's, it's those small things of forgiveness that like catapult you to forgive yourself for other things like being able to forgive myself for being for being queer like I shouldn't have to apologize for it either but but it's something that it's for a long time I I couldn't help but but blame myself just being nice and and understanding like what I said about being a child with temper tantrums right like there's that aspect of like, I'm still struggling with radical healing. I'm still struggling with this, this reform that's going in my life. Um, and it's still hard to love myself, including my past self, but I have to learn how to forgive, you know, like caring for my mental health is not a selfish thing. Caring about myself is not a selfish thing. It may make things really hard for me to, you know, maybe work or maybe like do better in my studies. But I know that eventually in the long run, I'd prefer to give myself a break now and say, okay, you're clearly tired. Maybe just relax today. than to be completely burnt out in the next six months and not be able to move an inch for a good week I'd rather you know forgive myself for being for being tired forgive myself for working slower than other people because essentially like what I discovered uh, like what I discovered on how to be better at school as a dyslexic was just really work like working really 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 hard like way harder than my peers to get just probably maybe even like lower the same score just to be the average it is exhausting and I I need to forgive myself for that too thank you are there any resources that you would like to recommend for my kind of healing personally when I feel very conflicted I don't like to write down in journals because it makes me feel worse sometimes which is I think the opposite of like So many of counselors and therapists are like, write it down. It'll make you feel so much better. And that was just not the case for me. It made me spiral even more. I had horrible things written down in notebooks that like made me like spiral again as soon as I read it. And so what I do now is I I type it in uh, not even my notes app, but my Google notes to make my, so if like, if anyone really wants to write something but they don't want to feel I don't know they don't want to really be reminded of it 
I think Google Notes is a really good way to just like write down what you're thinking. And also I'm trying to meditate every morning and stretch. I try to incorporate, I think mindfulness and like positive affirmations and like meditation. I think you should, I think if it's hard for you to implement that into your routine, to attach it to something that's already a habit, like like skincare or something. Like when I wake up and I wash my face, I listen to, to a mindfulness podcast. And that allows me to listen while also doing something that I've always done. And so, yeah, that's been, that's been a huge part of my life is taking care of my body, taking care of my mind, letting myself have breaks and like reflecting on myself a lot. I think that's a good place to end. Great. I really, really wanted to do this because I really wanted to say how I felt during that time mm. and how I feel about it now and how I finally got to defend being myself mm. and saying that like being me is not a sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if anyone is in CAJ who feels unsafe to be themselves, I really hope that like, I don't know, maybe this podcast can do something for them as well. Mm. Cause, cause I think it's a great idea. And obviously like this is a very niche group of people, CAJ alumni and CAJ, like current CAJ members. It's a very niche group of people mm -hmm. and like not many only the people who went to that place will probably relate to this. I never expected something, you know, like this podcast to mm. happen. But now that it's now that it's here, like I think it's perfect, you know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we I think Erica and I started it just like for ourselves. Yeah. Like I never yeah. expected this to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for our own healing, you know. Um, and that it's been a cool thing to see, to connect with other people like you and to hear stories and to just reflect together yeah. and hopefully affect change in some way. Um, yeah. Well, thank that's, you so much for hope. sharing your, thank you so much for having your story with us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of radical healing podcast. This podcast is made by Erica Hughesby and Julianne Picardo with music by Marlos Townsend. You can find and subscribe to Radical Healing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For information and more resources, check out our website, RadicalHealingPod.com, and follow us on Instagram at RadicalHealingPod. We're always looking for more people who'd like to share their story, whether it's about the CAJ experience, growing up international, or radical healing and what that looks like for you. If you'd like to get in touch, send us an email at radicalhealingpod at gmail.com.